and welcome to episode 52 of the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. If you are new to listening, welcome. Our podcast covers social media news and digital marketing trends for anyone who is involved in business. So whether you're in B2B or B2C and whether you are on the marketing or the sales team, we go over tips, trends, and we leave you with some actionable items to apply or think about. But first off, if you're new around here, my name's Sarah. I am an account manager here at 21 Handshake. (laughs) We don't know who wants to talk next. And I am Isaac, and I am the owner of the agency. My name is Alex. I am in charge of visual content. (laughs) If you would have saw that behind the scenes, that was hilarious. We were all pointing at each other. Usually Ashley joins us on our podcast, but she is um, not here today. So we do have Isaac sitting on with us. So before we dive into today's topic, which covers highlights from Mary Meeker's 2019 Internet Trends Report, let's dive into our news segment. This is all social media news and digital marketing news that we share here. And the last few days have been really busy. There's been a lot going on. So first up, Alex, LinkedIn, which they have been really on top of things lately, but now they've added the ability to tag people? Yeah, so they've added the ability to tag people in photos uh, and video as well. Uh, oh, so, you know, nice. that's something that's been around for a long time with Instagram and Facebook, but finally, uh, LinkedIn has uh, crawled into that space as well. Yeah, they really seem to be making a better social media presence lately with the adding hashtags and now with tagging. They are really trying to up their game, which will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think they're, they're kind of They've always been like the business social platform, and I feel like they're kind of trying to break down that barrier a little bit. Businesses can have fun, too. Well, it started with uh, this is the place where you go to get a job, right? That was LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And then it's really shifted into their niche was like being a publication with a lot of content. But then to your point, there wasn't that social aspect to be able to connectivity. So this is just the next step. It's funny how like these, you know, the big social media networks kind of look over each other's shoulders and be like, Hey, what do they do? How do we apply what they're doing over here to our plan with with staying in their lane? So I, I think it's great for them, and I think it'll help them grow. Con, uh, and they've already grown a ton. Yeah, and I do applaud that LinkedIn. And I think this comes just with being more business focused. They don't jump on the latest trends right away. They do take time. I'm assuming their team to analyze and see if that will work for their platform. So another big thing that came out. Um, Alex, we had talked about this a few weeks ago that Facebook was surveying their users, but now they have actually stepped forward and said, this information is going to directly impact the algorithm. So how is it going to impact the algorithm, these surveys that they did? So in one of their most recent surveys, they were talking about what sort of content people would most like to see at the top of their list. They're trying to improve their uh, algorithm. And uh, one of the, the ranking signals that they will be increasing is uh, is interaction with pages and groups that people are most uh, interested in. Um, so they are trying to boost content that you care about and reduce the amount of clickbait that people are seeing. Which is amazing because this is, I think, the first time that they've really put an emphasis on, hey, if people like your business page, we're going to show it to you. Whereas before, it's always been just like friends, family, friends, family. So I think that's a little boost for marketers there. (laughs) Definitely. And I've actually, 
I've seen in the last month or so more businesses trying to get involved with with groups or pages. Okay. Um, I've actually had a couple of like personal experiences of brands who just make like a physical product, okay. make uh, a page, and it was kind of like the the insiders club of people who have purchased, and that it was a way for, you know, the 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 employees of the company really are not involved in the page at all. It's just, it's all people who have purchased the product and are showing like how they use it, tips of like ways that they've figured out how to, you know, implement into their daily lifestyle or whatever. Um, and it's actually, it's been, I get it, it pops up in my newsfeed all the time. Um, so there's, there's definitely ways to get your, um, kind of like your most raving fans even more engaged in your product. Yes, definitely something that we as marketers can take advantage of. So thank you, Facebook, for that little boost. That is so important for business. I mean, that is, number one, it's extremely powerful word of mouth that isn't even coming from the business itself, right? That's what you're saying. Correct. And number two, being able to like look at the feedback loop and how their products are being utilized and the feedback and, hey, did you think about this and that kind of stuff? I mean, talk about their innovation team should be chewing that up. And, I mean, that's amazing information for that business. Definitely. So last but not least, so Google came out with some confusing news. Oh, Google. They announced they're having a site diversity change to search results. And they said this is not part of the core update that we talked about last week. In fact, they aren't even calling this an update. But basically what it is, is they are saying that a site will not show up twice in search results, even though maybe that web page was relevant. But they say that with a caveat. They say, but sometimes it might be relevant and we really think it's going to answer the user's question. So we might show three or four links to your website. So again, Google, a little confusing, but it comes back to making sure that your content fits the user, trying to, you know, Google says relevant. I think we need to understand what the context is there. And they SEOs, we often think of that relevancy in terms of the web page being relevant to the search phrase. But Google thinks of it, the relevancy in terms of how the web page is relevant to the user who is typing the search phrase. So there's a little bit of a difference there that we need to be aware of. So I think there are definitely two sides to the coin on this one. From the marketer's perspective, I think it's a bit of an eye roll. Yes. Now, granted, it's 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 Google's world and we're just living in it. So exactly. we have to abide by their rules and play by the way that they want to play. Um, so, you know, as a marketer, you know, you might not be able to get your site to appear as often, even if it's relevant in, in, in certain situations. But as a user of Google, um, on the other side of the fence, I love this because, you know, for example, if you're shopping for something and you type in tennis shoes or something, I don't want eight separate Zappos listings yes, to be the first yes. thing that shows up on the page want, yeah. or four different Nike shoes. I want to have a little bit of diversity in what I see. It's amazing how when you put your marketing hat on, how you would like the world to be. And then when you take your marketing hat off, how the world you'd like it to be for yourself. Yeah. And like the more we actually understand the other side is it's completely true. So I can tell you like, you know, I personally did this like 10 years ago for keywords and made sure that we popped up and uh, for another business popped up like three or four times on the first page. Like that was a gamification that you could do and win at. But if you flip over on the user experience on the other side, 
you want options, right? So what Google's telling you is like, look, we might give you more than one, but don't be mad at us if we don't. Um, so they're, they're saying that saying, do everything you can with that one we do give you on the search results yes. and make it amazing. So, because we'll track if they click on it and stay. Exactly. We'll track that. Like yeah. if, if it's okay. getting clicked on we'll and people it. like it and mm. it's not a high bounce rate and that's something like we'll help move up. So let's not go for uh, quantity here let's go for quality and that's what they always try to preach yeah they've definitely been preaching that and uh so this is a good for marketers to sit up and take advantage of just quality 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 so a lot's going on as usual which is why when a new report that studies the internet comes out and is published we jump at the chance to read it and study it and see what new trends are going on because we can use that information to communicate to users online better. So without further ado, let's dive into the highlights from Mary Meeker's 2019 Internet Trends Report. But if you've never heard of Mary Meeker, don't worry, I hadn't either. But apparently this is a huge report. This year has 333 slides. Don't worry, we're not going to go over every single slide today, but we'll definitely post the um, link in the show notes so you can dive into that if you so wish but we will share the highlights this report i heard it called in the tech industry is like something about like it's the holy grail of tech reports for the internet so there's a lot of useful insights in here and we're gonna unpack them right today so alex isaac let's dive in and let's first off tell us who Mary Meeker is and why does she have the credibility to make this report? Because that's a huge uh, undertaking. So Mary Meeker is an absolutely fascinating lady. If you haven't heard about her and you you are in the tech space, you should probably get yourself educated. Um, Mary Meeker started off as a, and I'm going to, I'm going to massively oversimplify this, but she started as a, as a uh, technologies analyst at Morgan Stanley uh, in the 90s, and she first introduced this, um, the early stages of what is now this quote-unquote internet report. Um, that was that was kind of a similar thing to what it is now. It was, it was this massive, massive, massive uh, conglomeration of all sorts of data, um, and she basically just kind of made sense of all of it. And so she has since gone on. Um, she's now involved in private equity, um, and this is a yearly report that she puts out, and it is is usually of this size. And when when it gets put out, people stop and listen. Yeah. Um, in 2010, Forbes uh, called her one of the top 10 most important people in tech. Um, she's just the type of person that if she's if she's saying something about the internet world or the tech world, you should probably listen. Wow, I can't imagine. First off, just the undertaking that this involves and how big her research team is. I bet it's enormous. So let's unpack the report with Mary Meeker and what she thinks about the internet. So first off, Fast Company pointed out the single most important stat they're calling it in the report was about security and privacy. Meeker's numbers show that in the first quarter of this year, 80 7% of global web traffic was encrypted, which that is up 53% from just three years ago. So that is a huge jump. Obviously, security online is becoming a huge, huge issue. And 
there's been several major data breaches. If we think we talked about this on, I think the very first podcast we ever did about Cambridge Analytica, that big scandal. There was the big Equifax scandal a few years ago. So ever since then, users of the internet, they, we've been educating ourselves about privacy online and even I think this goes back to even at F8 this year, the big Facebook conference, security was a huge concern. They talked a lot about encryption and it just we're becoming a huge nation and international users of the Internet and security is important. Keeping our data private and think about all the things that you put out there online about yourself. It's huge. 100 percent. I, I guess. I wasn't, I was surprised, but not surprised by this number. Um, I think it's it's becoming expected that companies are respecting privacy, um, especially with the run-ins that a couple of these large tech companies have had over the last couple of years and, and some, some bad streaks. So it was, you know, we talked in a couple of podcasts ago about uh, Facebook at F8 saying that privacy is really kind of at the forefront of all their future um, uh, future projects and future improvements to the platform. So I'm kind of excited to see how this all continues because it'll just make the internet a better place to be. Well, right. And I think that, you know, not only the security issue, but a stat that really caught me in the report is that there are 3.8 billion users of the internet globally. That's a lot of people online. And another huge stat was this marks this year marks the first time that more than half of the world's population is online. That's huge. That's a lot of people. <laughs> that is a lot of connected people. Yes. Which is great, but also brings up the security concern. <laughs> so I, I look at this two ways. Uh, the first is 3.8 billion people have, have, are now online and the number's only growing, right? Um, and privacy has been not 100% the entire time, okay? So obviously humans want to get online and that will continue to grow. There's inertia behind that. So I look at this as like, yes, we need to protect people's information, um, but they and their human behavior are showing that they don't care as much as maybe they say with what mm -hmm. they do. So when when I look at when I look at like Google, Facebook or something like that, it's almost it's almost like, they're they're taking it upon themselves for the stability of their long-term business is to keep these people out of trouble because they're going to be here anyway yeah right? maybe a social responsibility it's like a social responsibility and it's good for business too no question about mm -hmm. that but it's almost i mean i i look at when you look at the math you look i honestly say it's almost like they're doing this stuff anyway we need to be able to save them from them so we don't want them coming back three years from now and be like okay i lost everything because i was on such and such right yeah. so it's an interesting dynamic there is such a push and there's so much there's so much energy behind you know technology internet and connectivity that it's moving anyway with this in mind these people are telling you look if we get this figured out and then we have 5g coming down the pipe it's it, it could be the whole the whole darn place, right? Which is highly fascinating. It is, it's most definitely. But along, even though these companies probably also have a social responsibility wing, they also look out for their profits as well. And another fascinating part of the report talked about how all this privacy is affecting your ad targeting and your growth. Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so 
I mean, like you just said, there's there's kind of a, a fine line that they have to tiptoe, you know, between privacy, but also still making money. Exactly. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize this, but like uh, Google is the biggest advertising company in the world. You know, their revenues are absolutely extravagant with the AdWords platform. And the next yeah. in line is Facebook. Um, and then you kind of have all these other smaller companies that have ad platforms as well. Um, Amazon, Twitter, Snap, and Pinterest. But what's interesting, going back to, to tiptoeing that fine line, is that with this increase of privacy, these companies have less information to provide the ad users. So you are able to get less targeted. And what's interesting is while revenue spend or uh, spend has increased for all of those platforms over the last couple years, it has dramatically slowed for Google and Facebook. Um, while interestingly, some of the more niche platforms um, that haven't had quite this privacy reputation stuff happening um, have, have grown a little bit more in that time. So the Amazon, Twitter, Snap, and Pinterest. Um, but one thing fascinating, so I'm looking at a graph right now and th- this will be in the show notes. I'm sure this is a fascinating oh, yes. little graph, but one of the things that stunned me actually somewhat unrelated to privacy is the fact that Facebook's ad revenue is still half of what Google is. That absolutely yeah, blew me that's away. That's crazy. Because it, it seems like at least in this digital marketing world, there's a lot more, um, discussion about Facebook ads, or maybe that's, that's just a personal feeling. That's kind of like the, the stuff that's in my inbox daily in the podcast that I listen to, but it seems like there's less AdWords discussion out there and just more Facebook. So it, it was just blew my mind that it's, it looks, it might even be less than half. Right. And I think, you know, it still goes to show that Facebook advertising has tremendous growth opportunities Mm -hmm. there if um, they're only half of what Google. But then it also shows that those smaller platforms have a lot of advertising growth opportunity as well. 100%. You can definitely look at this several different ways. Yes, definitely. You know, there's there's just more maturity in the Google AdWords platform. You know, it's been around and so it's been at, you know, been at scale for a while and Facebook's been on the hockey, you know, the hockey stick up or with Instagram and yeah, it's just, you know, as you look at this and the value of the organizations in, a, in regard to what they can sell, you know, someone with their ad platform is the information. And now they're being handcuffed a little bit of what information, therefore, you're not as contextual. And we all know that when you can choose any experience you want to with what you carry around in your pocket, uh, being contextual is extremely important. So that's that's interesting. It's almost like leading itself to potentially open the door for smaller niche platforms that you know the type of user is going to be x y and z or whatever if they're on that even that platform you know what i mean it kind of opens a door for other platforms to where you don't have to use the information they give you but you actually know that that type of person would be on this type of platform versus there being the big four or five right well right and i think you like you said like i was just having this conversation with someone earlier and Maybe there's an opportunity somewhere to for some type of niche advertising platform to be able to determine, well, you were looking at that for work, but it's not relevant to you outside of work. So we're not going to serve you up that type of ad ever or whatever. You know, like I think there's some opportunity there. I think we haven't reached that breaking point yet because there's still enough information that Facebook and Google can target you with to get pretty contextual, obviously. But even if you go into the ads manager, there is less information that you can use now to target people. Keeps getting more private. Um, Back to that privacy. 
back to your your comments about context, Isaac, I think that there may be a time when we get to uh, an ad platform, maybe that you opt into for certain information. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be and interesting. So, so you kind of retain that contextuality because, you know, you're going to have a lot more success if that, obviously, that ad is contextual to you. Um, so maybe there's like an, an opt-in ad platform or something like that down the line. I don't know. Yeah, time, time will tell. Yeah, so along with that, even though there's slower ad growth, the one thing that's tying all the channels together is that mobile-based consumption is steadily, steadily rising. And just to kind of show state some facts here, and we'll throw these graphs definitely in the show notes, but mobile devices have for the first time surpassed TV watching among us consumers so we are watching more things on our mobile phone than we're watching on tv i just found that stat just astounding i mean it made sense but still at the same time to see it in a graph in print i was like wow and we'll definitely throw that in the show notes because the graph is really cool how it like just intersects and then mobile rises it's uh it's one of those things that's kind of you know it's been looming for a long time but it's like oh my god it's actually here yeah. <laughs> it finally happened yeah and digital our days spent on your digital media it has accelerated seven point or plus seven percent versus you know plus so it's steadily just steadily rising year over year over year and it's going to continue to do so so just really great. Um, and then another kind of to follow up with that, the social platforms that commanding most of our time on our mobile phone is Instagram and YouTube. They have shown huge spikes. Um, you know, Facebook is still top, but then, I mean, if you look at the YouTube spike there and the Instagram spike, they percentage point wise, Woo, really jumped off while Facebook actually declined a percentage. You know, YouTube has been around a while. And to show the graph, you know, like you said, you show it in the show notes, right? But to, sh to see the the increase that they've had is absolutely amazing for, for a business that's been around that long, right, too. So really just that adoption of, I mean, heck, maybe people are watching their phones when they're, the TV's on, and sometimes maybe they're actually turning the TV off and just watching their phone, right? Well, yeah. right. And Alex, we talked about this earlier, and you had an interesting thought about YouTube, how it's kind of spanned across generations. Yeah, YouTube. So this graph that we're looking at, it, it's talking about percent of internet users um, using a specific platform. So the number one is Facebook, and that's um, it's at about 30% of all internet users use Facebook. Um, and most of these other platforms that are on here have either grown a percent or declined a percent. Um, but YouTube over the last uh, year and a half has increased uh, 5%. And I think that the one thing about YouTube that is completely, that sets it apart from all of these other platforms that are on here is the fact that it has kind of this multi-generational use. Whereas some of these other platforms like Facebook Messenger or maybe Snapchat, Pinterest, or Twitch, definitely, um, they have, they are sort of niche to their specific demographic and there's not a bleed into other older demographics. YouTube is the only one on here and maybe a little bit of Facebook as well, but YouTube is the only one that has had multi-generational, like very yes. strong multi-generational success. I remember when I used 
YouTube a lot, even in high school and college, you know, and Sarah, you talk about your son yeah. is like huge into YouTube. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I know my dad regularly uses YouTube. Uh, and I feel like that's one of the only platforms that we can talk about in that way. Yeah, that appeals to everybody. Well, I mean, and could you you could argue that that's the first social platform that a child is introduced to. Mm-hmm. To I mean, yeah. so not only I mean of of all ages, you know, young and old, but I mean, cert- definitely on the, you know, on the older side. But if you think the first one that they're introduced to as you know, being here. It's probably YouTube. Yeah, you're out. You need to entertain your kid. Here, watch YouTube, this little kid's show on YouTube. I mean, <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> totally. But the, the one that we haven't mentioned here is Instagram has also grown uh, 6% in usage over uh, the same span as these other apps. So that's the other one right behind Facebook uh, in terms of the most success over the last year and a half or so. Uh, in terms of growth. Right. So definitely also another point is visual content. Visual content is winning. Yes. <laughs> so definitely a trend to sit up and notice. And then I also found this fascinating that the report said customer acquisition costs are actually rising. So it's much harder to gain a customer these days. But one way to hook customers in is through the freemium model, which has really taken off lately. Alex, can you share some of the report about that with us? Uh, so just to tee it up first, for those who are not familiar with what a freemium model is, it, it's in the name a little bit, but um, essentially you are able to use a program or software for free just by making an account and you get access to most of the features of it. Um, but then to either get um, an ad-free version or get access to the nicest features of a platform, you have to, to usually do um, sort of a monthly subscription to it. So there are a lot of platforms out there that you are probably very familiar with that have been extremely successful with this model. Um, Spotify. Oh yeah. Number one. Huge. Actually almost every single music platform to an extent has a freemium model. SoundCloud, uh, I, uh, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, Pandora. Um, and then you also have other platforms like Zoom. Is Yeah, we use know, that. We use that yeah. personally. Slack was too, right? Uh, Slack. Slack is, yeah. Slack yep. is a freemium Slack, model. Canva, if anybody uses Canva. that for design. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a video revision program that we use called frame.io. That's also a freemium model. Um, so it's basically a way to get everybody, people to try out uh, more or less a fully functioning version of your product and then you get hooked. And whether it's a, you know, a two-week trial or you kind of get a full access or a full membership, it's, it just gets people in using it. It's, it's a fascinating concept to where, you know, from a, from a capital standpoint, okay, I'm going to build something. I want to sell it. I need to, you know, it took resources to build something going to get it back in. But with a freemium model, you are requiring yourself to deliver an amazing customer experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that is like the most, that's like the best way to ensure yourself of having long-term success is if, if you can generate an amazing experience. So those who are doing this know, like, look, you know, um, you know, they can use it for free and we might have a ton of people on free, but we got to deliver so much value to keep them on there so they can share it with their friends and then, you know, I, you know, get to the point to where we monetize. But here's what's happened from my own personal experience. When somebody has a really good freemium model and then they have a simple paid program where I've got maybe some added bells and whistles, like again, as a business owner, I'm kind of like, 
man, I really appreciate your free stuff and I've really liked it for a while. I almost feel guilty not buying the nine ninety nine. I'm almost like, God, you guys did this so well. I'm in. Yeah. I, don't even, I don't even know if I need those bells and whistles, but you won. You won right. me. I'm in. Kudos to you. You didn't You didn't give me the right hook yet to ask for my money. Okay. I, I need that feature that I don't need, but I need, you know, so right. it's, it, what, what a great customer experience. And here, here we are talking about it, right? Exactly. And I mean, I think though some platforms have done it better than others. Um, for example, we talked in depth about this earlier and we talked about, wow, Spotify, they just really hit it out of the park. I mean, Pandora had been around forever, but who do you know bought a Pandora subscription versus Spotify entered the scene? They offered college students a deal. They offered families a deal. They really, and they offered like social media connectus as well. Like you could look up your friends' accounts and see what they're listening to. So they kind of put everything together and they built this great product that suddenly you trialed and then you were like, I can't live without and I don't want ads and I want to search by artist and bam. I think there were three fundamental things that made Spotify super successful. I think the first thing was that, yeah, they have an excellent UI. Like it's a very mm-hmm. easy or a UI and UX. Um, it's a, f- it's a really easy platform to use. I think the second thing was like, Sarah, you mentioned the social media connectedness. I can see what my other friends are listening to that's really cool. No other platform does that. And then the last thing was they were the first program to do a subscription based model where you could listen to all your music offline and all the other programs previous to that. So there was iTunes that preceded that you had to buy every individual song. So yes, you could listen to them, um, uh, offline, but you know, if you bought an album that would cost you $15 or whatever. Spotify was telling you, no, pay us $10 monthly and you can listen to basically anything in the world offline. Yeah, it is great. You can find, you know, large artists, tons of people, you know, like to small artists that might just be coming to your local community to, to do a show. So they really did take that and just run with it and really made it the best as well as they brought kind of all listening things under their umbrella and like podcasts songs, all that you could find right there in one location. And now Apple is copying that as they're getting all rid of all their separate platforms and moving it into one. So really, they've led the way. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I could speak on this model, um, again, it takes runway. It takes time. It takes delivering an amazing experience. And then it's very easy to go, okay, we got to go in for the kill. We need the money now. I just, you know, from a sales standpoint. And the 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 freemium models that we're talking about, never once did I feel like I was held hostage, or you were going to like restrict mm. me, or you were going to take away whatever you mm. you gave me in the first place, because I just just decided not to pay you. Right. Like, there's a yeah. way. There's a there's a subtle, interesting art form for them asking for your money. Um, without taking away from their current experience. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they did that really well. Yeah, too. D- yeah definitely. An, an interesting thought, well, at least it is to me, I'm sure there was probably a software company that was the first to do the freemium model, but it was a pretty pioneering move to pursue a freemium model. I'm sure that whoever brought that idea up, you know, brought it up to management was like, you want us to give away a whole thing for free? Yeah. Like and not have people pay for the whole thing that... Are you kidding me? And now, now yeah. it's easy to say, obviously, that it's been very successful and it's a it's a good move for companies. But that's like a. <laughs> yeah. So you need fifty million to build it, 
and we're not charging anything, <laughs> and we don't know when we're going to charge anything or if what. And yeah, it's a daunting. Task. Yeah, that's that's daunting. But but it's healthy. It's a healthy model. If you have a an amazing product and you're going to deliver an a, amazing experience, it, it can work in the long term. Yes. Forces you to be really good. Mm-hmm. So a few other quick stats just to run down them here that I found really fascinating. Um, the growth of e-commerce, we all know that e-commerce is growing, but it is now 15% of retail sales. Now, while that seems small, it's actually a pretty big deal because it still towers over growth in regular retail. So e-commerce grew 12.4% to regular retail, which only grew 2%. So the growth in that, that jump in percentage is huge. So even though it may only be 15% of retail sales, it is, you know, very forced to be reckoned with. It's, I mean, really, honestly, can't tell you the last time I went to a store and shopped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think in that world, um, wherever the transaction take place, you know, the business, if you have both as a business, if yeah. you're a retailer and you can come to my store or you can come online, either way, either way, businesses are being forced to deliver an amazing experience, both online and offline, more so ever today. So the retail that's growing has nailed experience at another level too. You know what I mean? So like, I think it's just when you, when I look at those numbers, ease of use is on the e- e-commerce side, that's going to continue because people are buying their time. Oh yeah. Back, right. But then the retail, if you break this down, you look at the retail, um, and I actually have done this, but I look at retail, <laughs> it is definitely the, what they're doing online and what they're doing digitally with tech and then the experience in the store is all syncing up. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I would love to know if next year they will talk about the growth of like the shopping delivery services, um, like grocery stores and all of that, because that to me is just amazing. The growth and how that has exploded. A hundred percent. And I think it's the way that we're moving with everything shopping related is whatever is going to give us the most or the least friction the least friction in our shopping experience. So whatever gets it to us the fastest with the best service and my least use or the least use of my own time. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely something that I would be interested in seeing how that grows over the next year. So real quick, one more last stat. Um, so this report listed out seven out of the 10 world, most valuable companies. And so interesting that or I'm sorry, it listed out 10 companies and seven of them were actually all tech companies besides like Visa, Johnson and Johnson and Berkshire Hathaway, which is huge real estate. So I just thought that was really, wow, just huge that seven of those companies were tech companies. And at the top of that, Amazon was second, Apple was third, Facebook was sixth. Again, just showing how tech oriented our world is even if you don't think you're tech techie you are involved in that space (laughs) so yeah 100 percent can't argue with that yeah so again if you're interested in unpacking more of this report we will be posting the link to the slide deck with the 333 slides in our show notes and we'll say as the report went on um all those internet kind of digital trends are right there at the beginning then it kind of moves on into healthcare trends and and other digital related um atmospheres but again posted in the show notes it's definitely a fascinating report definitely recommend to, to take a look at it 
So how about you? We would love to know what you find interesting from these stats when you get a chance to look at it. So definitely connect with us on social media at 21 Handshake and let us know. Did you love this episode? Yes, of course you did. Then please like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. It really does help get the word out. Thanks. Until next time.